Listen, I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it authentic. You can transform your life with holistic approaches to wellness. You can rejuvenate your mind, your body, and your soul through this personalized nutrition and organic product that I offer. You'll feel vibrant and energized while living a lifestyle that nourishes you from the inside out. You can truly discover the power of optimal nutrition. I help people eat, move, and feel better. And that's all that matters. Healthy mind, healthy heart, healthy soul. Hit me up. Let's get on a call. Let's talk. I'd love to help. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Ascension Show. So glad to have you here. Um... Today is going to be part two of our Reality Transurfing series. Um, I had lots of fun recording part one, so I hope you guys enjoyed part one as well. If you're new here, um, make sure you listen to part one before you get started with part two, so you're all caught up here. Um, For those of you that kind of forgot what um, this kind of series is about. I'm just going to be reading from the book Reality Transurfing. just offers a new perspective and a new way of thinking. And I hope that you guys got many benefits from part one. So here's part two. Um, there will be many more parts to come. So I hope you guys are looking forward to tuning in for those as well. And yeah, let's jump right into it. Hope you guys are having a great day. Let this accelerate your day. So, here we go. The heart does not work in terms of categories. It does not think or speak. It feels and knows. The signals of the heart are conveyed as an ambiguous premonition, which we call the inner voice. In moments when the mind is distracted, it allows you to experience the feelings and knowledge of the heart. This is the rustle of the morning stars, the voice without words, reflection without thought, and sound without volume. When you hear this music, you know that you have understood something, but it is still an elusive quality. It still has an elusive quality. Do not think so much. Feel and listen to your intuition. Everyone knows what intuition is. Everyone has sometime had the feeling that someone is just about to arrive before a visitor appears at the door, has had the feeling that something is going to happen and then it does, or has had the feeling that they simply know something that requires no explanation. The mind is constantly generating thoughts, and the voice of the heart is literally drowned out by the thought churn, making it difficult to access intuitive knowledge. If you stop the train of thoughts and simply contemplate the emptiness, you will hear the rustle of the morning stars, the inner voice that has no words. The heart could provide answers to many of our questions if only we could hear its voice. The task is to learn to interpret 
what the heart is trying to communicate to the mind at the same at the time a decision is being made it is not difficult all you have to do is instruct your inner guardian to pay attention to your inner state before making a final decision your mind is usually trapped by pendulums or absorbed with the job of solving various problems to hear the rustle of the morning stars it is enough to simply remember to note your inner condition it sounds quite banal and commonplace, but it works. The only problem is in paying attention to your feelings and sensations. People tend to be more inclined to trust arguments based on reason rather than their own feeling and so have forgotten how to pay attention to their own inner condition and the feeling of integrity that inner peace gives. If you want something, don't plead for it. Don't demand it. Just go ahead and get it. Metaphorically speaking, this is how the fighter moves with the flow of life. Pendulums provoke the fighter, who then swims against the current, not understanding that it would be easier and more advantageous to use the flow. The fighter's mind is gripped by pendulums, but the fighter is resolute, resolutely set on battle and, by making resolute decisions, whips the water with all his might in places where calm, smooth movements would have sufficed. Now, imagine a person who neither goes against the flow, causing additional eddies in the water, nor lets the current carry them utterly like a paper boat. They would be intentionally moving in harmony with the flow, noting the sandbanks, obstacles, and dangerous areas along the way, making smooth movements to keep to their chosen course. This is the person at the helm. If we reduce the intensity of projected importance, the mind can breathe freely. Because it, has been, because it has been released from the influence of pendulums and the pressure of artificially created problems, it can make more objective, appropriate decisions. The beauty of this lies in the fact that once the mind is free of the burden of importance, it has no great need for a, power, for a powerful intellect. Of course, to solve everyday problems, you need logical thinking, knowledge, and analytical skill but this requires much less energy. The flow of alter alternatives is a luxurious gift, which paradoxically, the mind hardly ever uses. The alternatives flow contains the solution to all of our problems. The majority of problems are in fact artificially created by the mind. Pendulums prod the anxious mind, which sets about solving all sorts of solving all sorts of problems just to try and keep the situation under control. It, its willful decisions are for the most part pointless like randomly slapping your hands on the surface of the water. The majority of problems, particularly minor problems, resolve themselves if the alternative's flow is allowed to take course. All of these abstract notions may appear overly conjectural. 
However, you can try out some of the ideas in this book in practice and then decide whether you think the flow exists or not. The alternatives flow is a truly sumptuous gift for the mind. The key to any problem are encoded within it. To access them, you have to learn to move in the direction of least resistance. As a rule, people look for complicated solutions because they perceive the problem as an obstacle. And as we know, obstacles can only be overcome by applying much effort. It helps to get into the habit of choosing the simplest possible solution to any given problem. We all have to learn something new at some point or think about how we can do familiar tasks in a more effective way. One approach to doing things in the most effective manner is so simple it is hard to believe it actually works. In accordance with the principle of harmonious movement, everything should be done by the easiest and simplest means possible. However meticulous you are, you will rarely choose an op optimal action relying solely on logic. Generally speaking, the mind is always under some kind of pressure, be it stress, anxiety, depression, or heightened activity. In other words, the mind is constantly distracted by pendulums, which make it a bit pushy or prepared to launch an attack on the outside world. In order to choose the next chain in the stream, of, all you have to do is free yourself from the puppet strings and have enough compliance to follow the flow. This means adopting a condition of balance and having enough mindfulness to not project inflated importance. Once you feel that you are in a condition of balance and harmony with the world, just follow the flow. You will notice a multitude of signs that will guide you. Let go of the situation. Be the objective observer rather than the participant. Perform your actions simply adopting neither the position of slave nor master. Instruct your inner guardian to nudge you every time your mind tries to make a sensible but nonetheless willful decision. Detach yourself emotionally as if you were simply an administrator and observe your work from the outside. Everything can be done a lot more simply than you think. Yield to the simplicity. It is the mind, not the alternatives flow, that carries you to the edge of the waterfall. First, observe, and only then take action. Do not hurry to take control. Let the game develop as far as possible of its own accord under your supervision. I am not presumptuous enough to advocate getting rid of common sense altogether. Quite the opposite. Common sense provides us with a minimal set of rules on how to behave in life in order to survive. The mistake of the mind is that it follows the behavioral code too literally. An obsession with common sense prevents the mind from opening up, looking around and noticing all things that do not fit the rules. Nature is in essence perfect, and so the streams of the alternatives flow have more purposefulness and logic than the wisest reasoning mind. However convinced the mind is that it reasons clearly, it will still be prone to making mistakes. The mind would make fewer mistakes if it did not try so hard to get involved and allow problems to resolve themselves. When you let go of the situation and relax your controlling grip, you allow the world around you more freedom and the flow can take its own course. You already know that it is futile and even dangerous to try and pressure the world. 
and yet when the mind loses a sense of harm harmonious flow, it creates excess potential. When in turn creates obstacles, transurfing demonstrates a different way of being. Firstly, if you reduce the importance you attribute to an obstacle, it will fade of its own accord. Secondly, if the obstacle does not respond to your efforts to overcome it, move around it and guiding signs will appear to assist you. The problem with the mind is that it tends to interpret any event that fails to fit its script as an obstacle. The mind likes to play everything beforehand, make calculations, and when something unexpected happens, it fights against it trying to make it fit the script. Unfortunately, this only makes the situation worse. Obviously, the mind is not capable of planning events ideally. This is where more freedom should be given to the flow. The flow has no interest in ruining your life, as such an action would lack purposefulness. Lives can, however, be ruined by ill-designed actions. The mind's unwillingness to accept deviations from its script that prevents it from making use of ready solutions present in the alternative's flow. The mind's compulsive desire to control everything turns life into an endless battle with the flow. If only the mind could allow the flow to go its own course rather than trying to force its will upon it. The mind's greatest error is that it strives to control the flow rather, excuse me, the mind's greatest error is that it strives to control the flow itself rather than its own movement within the flow. This is one of the main causes of the majority of problems and disappointments that people face. When a person experiences feelings of sincere gratitude, they radiate creative energy. Desire focuses on the goal, whereas intention focuses on the process of achieving the goal. In dreams, the choice of any script is brought about not by desire as such, but by the firm expectation of having the object you desire. You do not analyze, you do not desire, you simply have an act. Intention does not create excess potential because the energy inherent in desire's potential is dissipated through action. Intention unites desire and action. Intention in action discharges the excess potential created by the desire quite naturally without invoking the medium of balanced forces. If you need to solve a problem, act. Contemplating the complexity of the problem simply creates excess potential and feeds the pendulum your energy. When you take action, you realize the energy behind intention the hands do what the eyes fear to pursue, as they say. When you set about realizing an intention, trust the alternative's flow and the problem will resolve of its own accord. Waiting, worrying, doubt, and desire only drain your energy. Intention is in action, not only dissipates the energy behind excess potential, it uploads that energy to the person's energy field. You can see how true this is when you are studying. Swatting and cramming requires a lot of energy for a relatively minor result. In contrast, rather than leaving you feeling exhausted, learning via action, physical work, or applied problem solving is, an inspiring, is inspiring and fulfilling.
The fly beats itself against a window pane right next to an open window, which acts on the basis of inner intention. What do you think outer intention would look like in the case of the fly? You would think the answer would be for the fly to discover the open window and escape, but it is not. If the fly were to just take a step backwards and look around, it would see the pane of glass and spot the open window. In the case of the fly, it is just a matter of having a slightly wider perspective on reality. Outer intention literally opens the window for the fly. Let us imagine that it is Christmas Eve, and you are certain you will not be able to find a parking spot just outside the supermarket. The voice of inner intention would say that there could not possibly be a free parking space because the whole world is out shopping. Outer intention allows for the possibility that one space might become free just as you're arriving at the supermarket. It is not so much that in the case of working with outer intention, you solidly believe in the possibility. It is more that you simply claim the possibility of what you deem necessary dispassionately and unconditionally. Outer intention does not hurry to achieve the goal as it is already a done deal. The fact that the goal will indeed be achieved is neither doubted nor discussed. Outer intention is unremitting, cold-headed, detached, and moves the goal indomitably towards its realization. In order to fly, you have to have absolute faith in the idea that it is possible to do so. Why did Jesus so matter-of-factly say, according to your faith, be it unto you? Perhaps nothing can be received or completed without intention, and there is no intention without faith. We would not be able to take a single step unless we believed it was possible to do so. However, you will never be able to convince the rational mind that it is possible to fly or an to fly in waking as it is in dreaming, at least in a normal state of consciousness. There are yogis in India who can leave the ground during meditation. There are only reliable cases of levitation that I have come across personally. Their intention may only be sufficient to attune to the movement of the alternatives in which the body floats in midair. Taking into account the incredible capacities of yogis in comparison to ordinary people, you can imagine just how difficult difficult it is to be to overlay one's personal will on the power of outer intention outer intention only imagines an event to be true and accepts the possibility of a different script outer intention arises not as a result of will but as a consequence of harmony between the heart and the mind It would be a mistake to interpret conscious awareness as the striving to establish control over the surrounding world. The rational mind is accustomed to insisting its own view of things, trying to alter the course of events and fighting against the current. Sometimes, when a person steps off the stage into the auditorium, they are seduced by the desire to change the script by force 
imposing their will on the remaining actors. This type of behavior has nothing in common with transurfing because it depends exclusively on personal will, which is inner intention to push against the current. You have to remind yourself again and again of the need to go with the flow. Conscious awareness lies in observation, not in the ability to control. Control should only be directed towards imagining an auspicious script, allowing it into your life and embracing it with all of your heart instead of floundering about in negativity. It is not about forcing your own script on the world so much as considering it possible, allowing an alternative, allowing an alternative to be realized and allowing yourself to receive it. You will only succeed in ceasing to do battle with the world and allowing yourself to choose if the heart and mind are one. Even before you learn the nature of the problem, program yourself to perceive what it, whatever it is as a mere trifle. Intuitive knowledge can be drawn from the subconscious by the power of awareness. Intuitive knowledge can be more easily perceived if you can catch yourself thinking, why do I suddenly want to do this? The soul's reply will be soft and barely audible. The rational mind, however, will shout, shut up. I know very well what I want and what I should be doing. You have to be, develop the habit of constantly listening for the rustle of the morning stars to hear the music of intuition. In a semi-conscious state, it is almost impossible to remember quickly enough to note what your inner voice is trying to say. Even if clearly early in the morning you set yourself the strict task of listening to the voice of your soul, you will not remember to do so at the appropriate moment if you sink into the daydream. You have to remember to ask yourself every minute of the day, are you asleep or not, so that it becomes an attitude. How can you achieve a state of balance in which you combine the decision to have with the ab abandonment of direct action? The answer is obvious. You have to maintain balanced intention, which means to want something without desiring, to take care without worrying, to strive without being distracted, and to act without demanding. Balance is destroyed by the excess potential of projected importance, as you already know, the more important the goal, the harder it, it, it becomes to reach. The saying, if you really want something, you will eventually get it, will have quite the opposite effect if the wanting is intentionally driven and frantic attempts are made to acquire the object of your desire. Frantic actions are taken only when a person does not really believe that their wish will come true. Compare these two pos excuse me. Compare these two positions. This is the first. I really want to achieve what I desire. For me personally, it is a matter of life or death. Whatever happens, I have to have it. I will do everything I possibly can to make sure I get it. This is the second. I have decided that I will get what I desire. I want it. What's the problem? It will be mine, full stop. It is clear which position will be successful. Desire also differs from intention in that it includes the possibility of non-fulfillment. If something we desire is difficult to obtain, it may make us want it even more. 
Desire always creates excess potential. Desire is potential by definition. Desire is when somewhere something is absent, but thought energy is aimed at attracting that something to make it present. Intention neither believes nor desires. It simply does. Pure intention assumes that everything is already in the bag. The thought energy of desire is focused on the goal. The energy of intention is focused on the process of being achieved. When a person wants something, they create perturbance in the energetic picture of the immediate environment which brings about the impact of balance forces. When a person simply walks to the news, newspaper, when a person simply walks to the news agents to get a paper, no heterogeneity in the energy field is created. Within the context of a lifeline, that is, this is what desire looks like. I want it, but I am afraid I cannot actually have it, and, I so th and so I think of failure because it is important to me. And I radiate energy at the, and radiate energy at the vibrational frequency of a failure-ridden lifeline. Here, outer intention has the opposite effect. I know that I will have what I claim. It is already decided, and so I radiate energy at the frequency of a lifeline where I have what I want. You will not get a single step closer to working with outer intention unless you deuce the level of importance and emotional intensity you associate with your goals. The thought pattern described below will help you to cleanse your intention of desire. To start with you to start with you consider the goal to start with you consider the goal you want to achieve as soon as doubts enter your head you know you have desire if you start worrying about whether you have the necessary qualities and skills to achieve the goal it means you have desire even if you believe that you can and will achieve your goal desire can still be present you have to want and act without fueling the emotion of desire the intention to lift your hand up and scratch the back of your head is an example of intention free of excess potential. There should be pure intention to act, not the desire to act. This requires reducing the levels of inner and outer importance you associate with your goal. There is a very, sim there is a very simple way of reducing importance, which is to come to terms with the possibility of defeat at the very beginning. Unless you accept the possibility of defeat, you will not eliminate desire. Make sure that in the process of purifying intention of desire, that you do not lose a grip on the intention itself. Set the intention to achieve your goal and start by accepting the possibility that you may fail. Run the scenario of defeat round your mind a few times and consider what you would do if that happened. What might serve as a plan B or safety net? Invite the realization into your mind that not achieving the goal which would not be the end of the world. Imagining the scenario of defeat should be a one-time event. There is no point of constantly returning to the scene of failure in your mind. The exercise is only intended to free you from the need of achieving the goal exactly as how you imagined. You cannot know how the goal, how the goal with, with will achieved. 
but we will return to this point later. Once you have consciously accepted the possibility of failure, do not think about failure or success. Just move in the direction of your goal and set off just as you would if you were going to get to the news agents to buy a paper. Success will be in the bag, and if for some reason it is not, then there is no cause for sorrow or regret. If you do not succeed the first time, you will succeed the next, as long as you do not tear yourself apart over the initial failure. Suppose you want to get rich. Would you be ready to accept this gift of fate? Of course, if someone were giving away a spare million, we would all find it in ourselves to accept the gift without any problem. Wealth will not ruin your life as some films with the moral try to teach us. But this is not my point. Are you ready to take the million? You are probably thinking that you are probably thinking that I mean that the million must be earned and won, but this is not what I mean either. Are you ready to simply choose and allow yourself to have? You have to come to terms with the idea that you will achieve your goal. If you want to be wealthy but are afraid of walking into expensive shops, you will not achieve your goal. If you experience discomfort when visiting an expensive shop, it means you are not ready to give yourself permission to own these expensive things. The shop's, assistance in, the shop assistants in such places can tell immediately who they are dealing with, a potential buyer or a window shopper with an empty wallet. A buyer acts as if they are in control and holds themselves in a calm and confident and dignified manner, aware of their right to look around and choose. The curious window shopper, who is hungry with desire but poor, behaves like an unwanted guest. They have a tense, stiff, slightly inhibited manner. They sense the evaluating looks of the shop assistants and all but apologizes for the daring for daring to even appear in such a prestigious place. The merely curious visitor simultaneously creates a whole range of importance potential, desire, envy, feelings of inferiority, irritation and dissatisfaction because not only is the shopper not ready to allow themselves to have all this material wealth and luxury, they do not even consider themselves worthy of it. For the mind harps on, none of this is for us. We are poor and need something a little more modest. And the heart takes what the mind tells it, literally. Give yourself permission to be worthy of the luxury. You genuinely deserve the best. Destructive pendulums only instill the idea that you must cut your coat according to your cloth because it is in their advantage to keep you under control. Walk boldly into expensive shops and look at their wares with the manner of an owner and not a servant to a wealthy house. Using self-suggestion to persuade yourself that you can afford to buy expensive things is of course futile. So, how can you find a way of believing and giving yourself permission to have? Be willing to give yourself permission. 
you really will not achieve anything at all if you act solely within the realms of inner intention. Outer intention requires the will to have. In other words, considering yourself worthy and knowing that it all comes down to your personal choice. And with that, everyone, we're going to stop here, put a pin in it, and save it for next time in our series of Reality Transurfing. I hope that you guys enjoyed what I have to say here, what I had to share with you guys. Uh, it was sure fun reading it, and now we have an hour worth of reading from Reality Transurfing, and we're only 250 pages in. So we have a lot more to cover, and I have a lot more to read so I can catch up. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening if you got this far. I hope this was a blessing to your day, and I hope you have a great rest of your day and you crush it. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys in my DMs. Shoot me a message. Thank you so much. Peace, everyone.